0: out for everyone. Thank you, thank you. So this will be our third week speaking, teaching on church history and uh, our effort has not been to deal with everything uh, that happens in church history. Seeing the church began about 2,000 years ago and we read about it in our Bible in the book of Acts. Acts Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2 is the genesis of the church. Uh, And then you read uh, the letters that the apostles wrote to the church that was started in the book of Acts. And you understand they explain to you uh, what the New Testament belief is. And uh, that's the original. That's the pattern. And as believers It should be our uh, desire to walk in that original pattern, in that original form. And so that is our approach. We're not trying to understand or explain because uh, to cover 2,000 years of church history, we could talk about that to infinity and beyond uh, because there are literally thousands of characters involved If we're talking about church history, it necessitates us to kind of deal with where things began to depart. Last week, we talked about some departures that were happening while the apostles were here. You see them deal with those errors in the book of Acts. You see them deal with those errors in the book of Romans and Galatians and Hebrews. So there was A false doctrine a departure from the original even while the church was still here book of Revelation Jesus speaks of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans the deeds of the Nicolaitans a doctrine of a sect of people Jesus said I hate their doctrine and I hate their works so it is important for us to understand truth its source must not be an individual not me not, not Brother Hayes or Brother BJ or Brother Billy or Brother Bobby. But the Word of God. This is our standard of what is true. Okay, I got a question for you. What is our standard for what is true? Okay, just that's a real quick question. What is our standard for what is true? Oh, y'all are catching on. What is our standard for what is true? The Word of God is our standard. And so... When the Bible says that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, the scripture is declaring that it is the source of what we should believe, what we should teach, what we should preach, and how we should live our lives. So when we look at church history, it's important for us to recognize that what happens in history is not better than what happened in the Bible. The sad fact is what happened in history was a departure from, a perversion of what was written in Scripture. And so we're going to talk about some of those errors. I read this this week. I thought it was very good. Uh, A pastor, a friend of mine named Joel Mitchell, wrote these words. I wonder what would happen if we could all take away all the doctrinal creeds, church tradition ecclesiastical definitions, man-made organizational dogmas, and just go back to the simple truths of the Bible. Just letting the Word explain itself where it's line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. What would happen if we stopped studying and quoting these historical fathers and our church's theology and started just reading and studying the Word of God, praying for Him to give us revelation and understanding. It's just a thought. Maybe God is less interested in which church we are aligned with and more interested in knowing and obeying his word. Matthew 7 and 21 through verse 23 is a sobering passage that captures this thought. We need to be less concerned about our church affiliation and more concerned about knowing him intimately. And it's God. And since God God cannot be separated from his word. Let's start knowing him better by studying the Bible. And that is my purpose. In talking about church history, I am not trying to bash anybody or anybody's belief. I'm simply highlighting the errors. Why many people believe what they believe, no one has stayed up late at night and thought the devil does, but most people teach what they believe. And they believe it because someone taught them that. Why did they teach them that? Because they may have went to a seminary or their grandmother or some pastor said, this is what's true. And so they just keep repeating what they've heard. But we need to just go back to the Word of God. So that's our purpose. That's our goal. And so when you're talking about church history, one of the significant events that began the downward progression of doctrine and practice happened in the days of Constantine everybody say Constantine he was the emperor of Rome uh, that came about 300 years 323 AD Uh, he was the emperor and during his reign uh, and I mentioned this the first week previous to that it was illegal to be a Christian so they, they, they fed them to the lions. Christians were put out into the, uh, the Colosseum in Rome, and they would they'd put them there and they would let the lions loose, and the lions would tear them and eat them. They would burn them at the stake, they would stone them to death. And that was the story of being a Christian for the first uh, 300 years of its beginning. They, they 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 crucified Jesus. All of the apostles, save John, they were martyred for the faith of Jesus Christ. And so, for three hundred years, if you were a believer, there was a real good chance there was a death penalty hanging over your head. And you and many of them, even that, though that was the fact, they still preach they still believed and the church grew the effect of Christianity spread over the then known world even though it was illegal there's something powerful and supernatural about the gospel even today in Iran in Iraq and some of these Middle Eastern countries where to be to be anything but a Muslim is illegal and that you can be put to death For converting from Islam to Christianity. There are thousands of people that are coming to faith, coming to salvation, to Jesus Christ in a hostile environment. Why? Because the gospel is real. If you see something, uh, one of the most common uh, testimonies of Muslims that come into salvation, they have a dream. And in the dream, they see Jesus. Jesus testifies to them and tells them where to go, tells them who to talk to. And in spite of the criminality, uh, the illegal uh, action of converting, they do convert. And so that was the story of Christianity. For much of its early history, it was illegal to be a Christian. But Constantine, he was a politician and he understood the, the the strife that was involved when so many people were Christians and, and then these people were killing them uh, he, had, he said he had a vision I really believe he just he, he thought I know how to be more effective let's do away with the strife and in a short period of time it went from, I mean, it, it went from being illegal to be a Christian to being illegal not to be a Christian And so all of these people that were operating as priests and worshipers worshiping all these Roman gods in a short period of time, they just changed the plaque on front of their temples and changed the nameplate under their gods and they included that all into Christianity. I had a friend of mine that went to the Vatican not long ago and he walked into one of the major churches there and inside of the the, the area there were all these Roman gods. You got these uh, uh, forget the name of the god, a multi-breasted woman god, and uh, they, it's there, right there. They, and it's all these deities that were heathen gods, and they had been included into what is, for some people, consider Christianity, Catholicism, and so we're just when we look at three twenty three A.D. Constantine basically invited all of the significant Christian leaders of the then known world at that time and said, "We're coming to to uh, Nicaea and we're going to get this thing figured out and so they were there, and there were uh, two significant doctrines there, and there there was uh, they, they kind of took a vote and it was split and they kept talking, took a vote and a few peeled off and over a period of four months. Imagine being at general conference for four months and arguing over doctrine for four months. That sounds like a nightmare. And uh, uh, th- there were two significant individuals that arose. One was Athanasius and the other one was Arius. And they were arguing over what come. To be essentially one word, for four months, and the words were, "Is God?" I'm not going to say this right. Homo or homoesis. I had it down early. I said it right earlier. Somebody say it. it. And so, one of these uh, Latin words was of the same substance. Speaking of Jesus and the father of one substance. And the other one was of different substance. Arius, who was one of the primary uh, persons behind a doctrine that's called Arianism, believed that that you had big God and little Jesus. That stuff's still out there today. Big God, little Jesus. Jesus uh, is great. But he's not as great as big God. And so that was the the, the significant thing is that Arius was saying that Jesus and the Father were different. And uh, Athanasius was saying that Jesus and the Father are the same. That sounds good. I could agree with that. Jesus and the Father are the same. But over a period of that four months and then trying to bring consensus, what sprang from that four-month-long church council was what became known as the Nicene Creed. Say that with me, the Nicaean Creed. It was there in the city of Nicaea that Constantine brought them together in 323 AD. And after four months... Whenever they did the final vote, it went from about 50-50 to where everybody signed up on one side save Arius and two or three of his bishops. And they basically uh, banned him and, and persecuted them and run them out of the church and, and persecuted people that agreed with Arian. And so the, the, the problem is... Is this began a pattern in Christianity that people began to look to what the church council would be to determine what they believed. So let's say you believe this, I believe that, you go to a church council and all the bishops vote and whoever gets the most votes, that doctrine becomes the official doctrine. If you're gonna be a Christian you better do the Nicene Creed. That's still true today. People Uh, people will make you sign a document if you're part of various uh, uh, religious uh, organizations. If you got to sign the the Nicene Creed or the Apostles Creed or there's various ones, you got to believe that. And if you don't believe that, they'll say you're not a believer, you're a heretic. Uh, After the way of heresy, there I go. Because the bottom line is that the councils have no Value, except from a historical understanding of how Christianity got so far off base. The only thing that has authority in dictating our doctrine and our practice is what? Is the word of God. So here's the deal. Uh, on, On the second page, I have a graphic that is very common if you have discussions with people that believe in the Trinity, they are taught that there's one God, but three persons in God. And they are, they, they are, they're one, but they're three. Uh, 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 what is it? Unity and Trinity. And, and they make a big deal about the fact that the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father, the Son is not the Holy Ghost, the Father is not the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost isn't the Son, the Holy Ghost isn't the Father. And so they make a big deal about that there are three distinct, and the big error is persons. Persons. And here's the problem with that teaching, is that it is bringing God down into a form, a picture we can understand. But here, God, everybody say God. The very creator God is not a person. He is a spirit. The very creator God is at all places, at all times. Uh, He doesn't dwell in the universe. The universe dwells in God. He dwells in the universe. He dwells outside of the universe. He dwells in time. He dwells outside of time. That's a mind-blowing thing. He's omniscient. That's what it means, to be everywhere at once. Omniscient. I am not omniscient. I am right here. What you're seeing, that's me. I'm not in Texas right now. I'm not in Alabama. I I can barely hold a conversation with one person. God, we all could start praying right now, and God's not like confused. Hold on, I'm hearing, I'm listening to Bobby right now. Hold on, I'm I'm listening to Cherie right now. God is so incredible that every one of us could begin to pray at the same time and he he hears it, he understands it, he don't forget it, he's aware of it. I mean, that's mind-boggling to me. And every individual in the world right now, there's 7 billion people. Every one of those 7 billion people could pray at the same time and God would not get confused what am I saying? God's not a person. God is a spirit that is outside of our ability to fully comprehend. He is awesome beyond our ability to explain. And so the problem with the Trinity is the Trinity says that God is three persons. God is a spirit that manifested himself many ways different times throughout the Old Testament. He appeared in a burning bush. He showed up in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He, he showed himself as an angel uh, walking with uh, 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 Abraham. Uh, he showed himself as as potentially an a, a, a angel walking with, with the three Hebrew children. But there's just glances, glimpses, flashes of lightning, if you will. But that's not God. That's a manifestation of God. And up until the incarnation, no one had ever seen God at any time. They asked, Lord, show us. Let us see you. God said, you can't see me. If you saw me, you'd die. And so no one up until Matthew... When, when the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary, I've heard people say, well, if, if the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary, that means the Holy Ghost is the Father. That's true because the Holy Ghost is the Father. God is a spirit, Spirit, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. It's not a separate Spirit, it's the same Spirit. It's not a different Spirit, it's the same Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. It's not two spirits, it's one Spirit. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and that miracle of the incarnation. There was a child born in the womb of a woman, and 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 just like how it happened for you, with the exception of you have an earthly father, Jesus had an earthly mother, but his father was God. And he grew up. He grew ten fingers, and he he grew grew two ears and. He was born, that whole birth process. He came from his mother. He had an umbilical cord. He, would, he cried like a baby would. He, he was fed by his mother like a baby would. He grew up just like all the, all the rest of the men and women have from, from then until now. The Bible shows that when he was, uh, I think it was 12 or 13 years old, he was in the temple. And he was, he was talking to the, the, the teachers. He was a man. But the miracle of Jesus is not that he was a man, but it was he was more than just a man. He was the very visible manifestation of the Spirit of God so that we could see him, that, so that we could touch him, so that we could know him, and really so God could know us. The Bible says we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but wasn't always tempted like us, yet without sin. Everybody say Jesus. So Jesus, and I, I mean I could show you so many scriptures, but I'm, I'm just proclaiming to you that, that Jesus was the visible of the invisible almighty Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God that 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 dealt with Abraham and dealt with Isaac and dealt with Jacob and spoke to Moses. That same Spirit that said, "Hear, O Israel: The Lord our God is one Lord." That that oneness, inseparability, the singularity of one God. That one God. He moved like the wind in creation. His light. In the stars, it all came down and coalesced into Jesus. Jesus isn't in the Godhead. The Godhead is in Jesus. I have it here in your notes. For in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Everything I need, I need in Jesus. It's not that Jesus is is somehow separate from who God is. Jesus is the visible of who God is. Up until Jesus, no one had ever seen God. But as Philip and Jesus were having the conversation, Philip said, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said, how long have I been with you, Philip? If you have seen me, You've seen the Father. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And so no doubt that's a mind-boggling thing. Thinking about who God is, that is a mind-boggling thing. The Spirit of all creation, the Creator of all there is, came down and made Himself visible, touchable, bleedable, livable, and dieable so that i could be saved and that 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 definition of who jesus is is one of the most constant errors and controversies throughout the history of christianity you had arius who was saying jesus and the father are separate you had athanasius that was saying jesus and the father are the same but they're different and, and this, this, this evolution of the Trinity, it wasn't until the, the council of, uh, of uh, Chalcedon, I believe it is, a hundred and thirty years later, when they finally settled in on what people say the Trinity is today, That, that it, so almost five hundred years after the apostles were here, they're starting to hammer out brand new doctrine that's not in the scripture. And so when we think about church history, I want the scripture to define for me who Jesus is. And we know if all you've got is the scripture, you would never come to the conclusion that there are three co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent persons in the Godhead. That's not in the book. Amen? Amen. So... It is this, this process, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to cover, because next week we're going to talk about the Reformation. So you have from, from the Council of Nicaea until uh, Martin Luther, you have all kinds of crazy stuff, quote-unquote Christianity believed, and many Christians, quote-unquote Christians today still believe. Uh, that They, they teach... And that came out of church history, that if you want to deal with your sins, you got to go to a priest and make confession for them. And they teach that that priest takes on your sin and forgives you that sin in Christ's stead. I am so glad we don't believe that. First of all, we don't believe because the Bible says, I don't want to know what you've done wrong this week. Wouldn't that be terrible? You have to go tell somebody what you've done, and then they'll give you some penance. Oh, that you, you 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 hollered at your kids, so I want you to. Here's your penance, and they'd get basically tell you how many times to repeat a certain prayer, so many Hail Marys, so many Our Fathers, and and that 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 be, became a part of what is known as Christianity. Uh, penance uh, I mentioned that purgatory Uh, purgatory has been an instrument so much false doctrine has been introduced into the mindset of people purgatory everybody say purgatory anybody know what that is huh limbo it's a place between heaven and hell it's a place of suffering that it's not real this is an unbiblical doctrine but the doctrine of purgatory says well Okay, so you didn't make it into heaven, but you didn't go to hell. But you're suffering. And your family can pray you out or pay you out. If you, if you had some uh, a, a hellion of an uncle, but you loved him a lot, and you know when he died, like, there ain't no way he went to heaven. Lord, I hope he didn't go to hell. What's it gonna cost me to get him into heaven? You could write out a check to the church and they'd put him... They'd move his name from purgatory to heaven. 593 A.D. is when that little gem started being taught. Infant baptism, 370 A.D. There are other mediators between God and man. Uh, Indulgences. Oh, that's a good one. I mentioned this our first week. Indulgences. The doctrine was uh, formulated that, that Jesus had so much virtue And the church was the repository of the virtue of Jesus Christ. And let's say an indulgence wasn't forgiveness for what you have done. Indulgences was you could pay to play. I plan on uh, killing my neighbor. I'm planning on robbing a bank. Whatever. They would go to a priest and say, I'm about to do something bad. And they would basically... Or money, write them out a piece of paper and say, you get a free pass. That's how they built St. Peter's Basilica. And it was the sale of indulgences that ultimately brought about the Reformation. Martin Luther in particular was so offended because you'd have these priests would come into town and they'd have these offering baskets and, and they would be taking up money. If you want an indulgence, you put money in the church and you get a free pass. So anytime you see the Pope John Paul step out, what built all that? False doctrine. And, and people still today believe that that money buys you something. Where it doesn't matter what you do or what you say, but everybody say, uh, God don't work that way. In 1546 the Catholic Church added what's known as the Apocrypha to the Bible. Uh, the Bible talks about Paul Warren. You know, you're going to have people that say don't marry. Forbidding in marriage. He says, don't have nothing to do with them. In, in 1079, you have the celibate priesthood. Where the priests don't get married and the nuns don't get married. And, and and turns out, do a little bit of church history, the Pope, the history of the Popes and their illegitimate children is famous. They, they, they taught on the primacy... Or the infallibility of the Pope. That whatever the Pope says or whatever the Pope writes is equal to the Scripture. I don't know what you do when Pope, pope John Paul writes one thing and Pope John Paul II writes something else. I guess the second one's more right. Uh, the, the, the praying to Mary. So much of what now is Catholicism is a worshiping of Mary. Pope John Paul was famous because he elevated... The worship of Mary and the praying to Mary to maybe the highest level it had been uh, throughout the Catholic Church history. Uh, and there's literally thousands of little deviations from the original. My, pope, my, my, pope, my purpose is not to be cruel. If someone sees this and thinks that I'm, I'm bashing Catholicism, that's not really my point. It's information. Where did this stuff come from? It didn't come from this. And the, I think the biggest error of Catholicism is the first one I meant, that I wrote here. That uh, human tradition elevated above the word of God. And that is where error comes from. And, and you see that throughout Christianity. It happened in Judaism. I mentioned it last week that that the jews today most of the jews today what they believe isn't what's in the torah what they believe today is based upon what a rabbi said about the torah and many denominations today i think one of the greatest tragedies there'll be a young person that really loves the lord and they want to be used by god and they send them to one of their seminaries of their particular denomination and when they go what do they do do they study the scripture No, they study their personalities who write about what the Bible says. And they spend a bulk of their time reading about what the Bible says. I I was uh, test driving a car about six months ago. And I was riding the car with a young man that is in his senior year at Reformed Theological. And uh, I haven't done that since. It's a great way to witness to people. Because if you're driving and they're riding with you, They're captive till you decide to go back home. (sighs) And I started, I basically, he said, well, what's the difference between Pentecostalism and and, and Presbyterian? And I said, well, the biggest thing is that we reject human tradition. We believe the Bible is the singular uh, voice of authority concerning doctrine. We reject the church councils. We reject historical Christianity. That's a big word. If you witness to people, they'll talk about historical Christianity. Which part of history? Because many people that talk about historical Christianity, they don't accept it all. Most people that say they believe in historical Christianity, they don't don't accept the popes. They they pick and choose which part of historical Christianity they choose. And let's just make it easy. Let's go back to the original history of the Bible and forget all that other stuff. What does the Bible say? I've said this over the past few weeks. I do identify as a, as a Pentecostal, as an apostolic. And what it means, when I say I'm Pentecostal, it's not saying I'm following a tradition of a person who wrote about the Bible. I'm identifying with the experience found in Acts chapter 2 and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. I'm, I'm Pentecost by experience, I'm apostolic in doctrine my core documents and my personalities that i believe in is peter and paul and john the writers of this scripture jesus and isaiah and ezekiel and moses those are my leading figures in the formation of my doctrine so church history anybody have any questions comments we got about seven minutes Right, and I didn't know you were going to be here today, but oh, I know you're not. Uh, we've 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 talked about it. Anybody have any comments or questions? Come on, somebody give me a question. Let's see here, I got a dollar, a dollar for a good question. Surely somebody here got a dollar. Anybody? Come on, brother BJ. Ask me a question I can answer. <laughs> He'll ask me a question I can't answer. Uh, that's big. That was a big deal during the uh, Reformation. Transubstantiation means that the Catholic Church teaches that after the priest prays for the communion, that the bread literally becomes the flesh of Jesus Christ. And the the juice wine literally becomes the blood of Jesus Christ so when you take communion you are literally eating the body and the blood of Jesus we don't believe that this the miracle of the mass yeah so that was a big that was a big issue in the Reformation because they I, I don't believe there's any uh, Protestant churches that that believe in that Tran. Well, I think the fact that the way the the conversation started and the the issue they were discussing, to me, what happened is you ended up with a choice of two errors. And so I think a lot of people signed on to the the document of Nicaea because they agreed with it more than it's like the choice of of two errors. The second thing is just because someone is in leadership don't mean they're right. Can I get a witness? i mean religious leadership and this is true in every organization just because someone has been elected to lead doesn't mean that they're making good decisions so uh, i i believe that in that area you can see there was these influences these other thoughts Thoughts that didn't didn't originate within the original Judaic Christian mentality, but they were a product of the the Roman influence, the the other cultures that influenced the doctrine. For instance, Trinity. Uh, The religion of Egypt has a three god entity. Hinduism has three god entities. there, there are a number of various, even the Romans had three God entities. You had a, a father, a mother, and a child. You had a lot of deities that was prayed, th- prayed to pre-Christianity. And so it was those influence that found themselves. So when you see pictures, you'll see, if you just do a search on your Google, uh, pictures of the Trinity, You see all kinds of just crazy stuff, but that that's not what that's not what Moses, Abraham, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jesus, Peter, or Paul. None of them taught anything that even resembles what came to be believed by much of Christianity. Anybody else have any questions, Sister Jennifer? You have any thoughts back there? No, Brother Hayes. How many gods are there? There's one God. And what is the only saving name? One scripture I didn't read. Matthew 28, 19. They changed the baptism at the Council of Nicaea. Up until that point, the majority of Christianity, when they were baptized, were baptized just like all of Christianity was baptized after the book of Acts. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they officially changed the baptism at Matthew, in, in the Council of Nicaea. And they began to use Matthew 28, 19 because it, it encapsulated what they were trying to teach. Three persons in the Godhead. But let's read it. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And the key to that scripture is in the name of. We know Jesus came in his Father's name. We know the name of the Son is Jesus and the promise of the Father, the Comforter, came in the name of Jesus. Father's not a name, Son's not a name, Holy Ghost isn't a name. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What's his name? Jesus. So next week, we will deal with the Reformation. And I encourage you, send me a question, anything you you hear, anything you'd like us to deal with. We would love to have them. Love questions. Amen. Yes? We have cakes, cakes in the back. One cake. And she's selling tickets.